Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts. Leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up? What's up, everybody? Ricky Woodburn here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Twani Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back for another edition of the Primetime Podcast right here on Most Valuable Podcast. This is where we talk college football, college basketball, NFL draft, NBA draft, really anything related to college football players and college basketball players. And today, Brandon, a jam-packed show. We're kind of, the NFL draft is gone. We don't have to focus on that anymore. That is now, if we're going to, it's an onside kick problem. It's not our problem anymore, unless we want to do our way too early big board, which, hey, we may do. Who knows? (laughs) But we're talking college football. We're getting back into that realm today. We've also got a little NBA draft as we're gearing up May, and then June will be here before you know it. And the NBA draft, talking Michigan football. Could this be the year for Jim Harbaugh? Should this be the year he's on the hot seat? Going to take a look at Texas A&M football. Jimbo Fisher coming in. What should the expectations kind of be for them? And then our NBA topic will end the show is Mo Bamba. Is he the best big man in this draft? Should he be the first big man off the board? Kind of the discussion that we are going to have. But before we get into everything, a little bit of housekeeping. I'll keep it nice and crisp here at the beginning. Patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. That's how you can be like our patrons, Patrick, Matt, Christian, Jake, who have come on podcasts in the past. We're going to have new patrons on this month for you guys to kind of see, kind of hear. You can be one of them on a podcast. Check out that link in the description. If you want an MVP t-shirt, the store link also down below in the description. You can check out mostvalepodcast.com. That's where you can catch everything for MVP each and every day. And last but not least, you're on iPod, your iTunes and Apple Podcasts. I keep wanting to say iPodcasts. It's not iPodcasts. It's iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Go and give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. Mark and I, I almost said Sean and I, Mark and I looked at it earlier this week. Primetime Podcast has a, a good rating. However, there's that one stinky review that said we talked about SEC too much. I mean, it was that one podcast where... Everything in the SEC was going on, or it could have been our SEC preview, which is why it was all SEC. So go on iPod, iTunes and Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. Write a good review so people know they should check out the Primetime Podcast and why Ricky can't say words correctly. But let's get into our first topic, Brandon. Let's talk Michigan football. Now, the question for today is... Should Jim Harbaugh be on the hot seat for 2018? Because this is a team that hasn't lived up to the expectations that Michigan football fans want. He's never beaten Ohio State. They've never been to the college football playoff with Jim Harbaugh. However, Shea Patterson has been okayed to play this season. What do you think? Should Jim Harbaugh be on the hot seat this year or not? I don't think so. I think it's a bit early. I think uh, it's, it's a bit premature to say that he should be on the hot seat. 
He's going to be in his fourth season at Michigan. First two seasons, he goes 10-3. and three. And this past year, after he loses a lot of weapons, both offensively and defensively, I don't want to say and use that as an excuse, mm-hmm. but it is a reality. He lost a lot of really key pieces on both sides of the football. So for them to go 8-4 and four during the regular season, they lose their their bowl game. They have the last two seasons lost that bowl game. But for them to go 8-4 and four with what they had, I would say that that's pretty impressive. And I think that we can be assured, for the most part, that Michigan will rebound this next season. I think that we could be seeing a 10-3 and three again. But after this season, if they're unable to beat their rivals, the Michigan States, the Ohio States, if they can't beat them, then the questions are just going to start to creep in. You know, is Jim Harbaugh the right guy for this job? Because, yes, Jim Harbaugh is a great coach. He's shown that. He showed that in his time at uh, Stanford, especially towards the end, obviously, with that 12-1 and season. Then he comes over to Michigan. He goes 10-3 and in those first two years, and then 8-5, mm-hmm. and obviously, this past season. But if he cannot beat those teams, that's what's going to be held over him. As with the Chicago Bears, as an easy reference, beat the Love, Green Bay Packers. Lovey Smith, ten and six, I believe, in his last season. Mm-hmm. But they fired him because they wanted more than ten and six. They wanted the playoffs. They wanted playoff wins, and they ultimately wanted to go back to the Super Bowl. But ever since then, they've only sucked. So I think that that's where you also have to be careful because mm-hmm. if you get rid of Jim Harbaugh, and I'm not saying Jim Harbaugh is the end all be all, but you get rid of him. Who are you going to bring in where you can honestly sell it to your program, for your program, to your players, to your fans, that we have now someone better than Jim Harbaugh guaranteed to beat Ohio State? And I think that's where you have to draw the line of being, okay, you want to get rid of this guy. Mm-hmm. The person you have lined up afterwards, they better be a whole lot of real good. Well, and I'm glad you brought up that last point because I feel like right now it's kind of like a culture we live in now to where – if you start something, let's say I'm going to relate it to going out and going to the bar to meet some girls. You got an outfit that's working for you. Well, if you talk to some ladies that night, it works. All right, I'm going to do that again next week. The second it stops working, I got to change that. Or let's say baseball. How many times it's like, you know what? I did this before I went up to bat and I got a hit. You know what? I'm going to do that again. The first time you don't get a hit, I got to change it. Something went wrong. I lost the mojo. That's where we're at right now with just as a society is like, all right, we're not winning now. It's been three years. All right, we got to get someone in the door who can win. And it's reflected in Michigan because since the last coach that they had that was there for more than three seasons, Lloyd Carr, he was there from 95 until 2007. Most of my life, Lloyd Carr had been the coach of the Michigan Wolverines. Then you've got Rich Rodriguez. Took over in 2008, gone in 2010. Brady Hoke took over 2011, gone in 2014. Jim Harbaugh took over in 2015. Will he be done in 2018? And that is the question because we're sitting around that year. He's passed the rich. Like, if we're looking on a graph, he's passed the rich rod line. This year will be the Brady Hoke line. Well, basically how many years they were there. And I'm not saying that Jim Harbaugh definitely needs to go, 
But for me, I think that this is a year. Like, would I fire Jim Harbaugh right now? No. Would I fire them if they if I fire would I fire him after this season if they don't make the playoff? No. If they lose to Ohio State, no. However, with that being said, I think a little bit of pressure needs to be kind of put into Jim Harbaugh, not because I don't think he can make it to the playoff or beat Ohio State. But if I am in the AD's office, I got to be sitting there going, all right, I can't be happy with what is going on right now. The first time you play Ohio State, you lose 42 to 13. 2016, I'll give it to you. You go into Columbus, Ohio, you go into the horseshoe, lose 30 to 27 in double overtime, probably should have won that game. That was the one that had the questionable call that should have been Michigan, and I was on the side of Michigan, that they should have won that game. Then you have last year, you come back home, you lose 31-20. to 20. The thing that sits, the two things that sit uneasy with me with those is that, first off, we're 0-3 against them. Second thing is that the close game was when we were there. We've given our fans two shit games when it's come to the outcome. They've basically blown us out here, although 11 points isn't the worst This past year, the game was much closer on the road. The second thing that would sit kind of weird in my stomach right now is your one and two against Michigan State. Like he lost to Michigan State year one, and then 2017, this last year, lost to Michigan State again. So that's another rival we're on the losing end of, and you didn't beat Penn State this year. Now, I know Penn State was the number two team in the country this year, but I see it and I go, all right. Two losses in conference first year, two losses the next year, three losses, well, four losses now this year. When is this going to uptrend, or will this always be a, hey, there's always two teams, one of them being Ohio State, are going to clip us, and we're going to get losses for those games? Well, I don't think that you can necessarily look at it like that. You you have to... I think you have to look at it each individual season. Mm-hmm. So like this past year, you know, you look at how everything went. Okay, that's not how we wanted things to go. But, you know, it's – but it also can't just be – it can't just be those games. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to look at everything as a whole. But there there needs to come the time where they have to start winning against them. I don't think that Jim Harbaugh probably even is – Internally on the hot seat, mm-hmm. I really, I really well, I don't just, think I, I, I don't think it. But Michigan has seen two ten and three seasons. I can't stress that enough. They've seen them. They liked it. They thought that they could get more. They went eight and five. Mm-hmm. Now, if they don't start to trend back towards the ten and three, that's when we start to get worried. But. When you do now have, and what this situation has worked out, what seems to be working out really well right now for Michigan, is that Shea Patterson, due to a, I, I don't want to say a loophole in the NCAA um, rules, mm. but Michigan and Ole Miss are able to, are able to put a waiver together mm-hmm. that they're both able to sign that says, yes, he can leave, he can go, he can be on your team. That's going to be really big for Michigan. Now, it is it a complete set in stone that he's going to be the starting quarterback? No, not necessarily. I think he wins the job, though. I'm just saying, right now, nothing's set in stone. Mm-hmm. There's going to be, you know, 
the the off season where they're going to have competitions, they're going to have a quarterback competition, and the best one is going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, the thought would probably be that he will be the one to do that, but I think you look at what he did last season for just seven games with Ole Miss, over twenty two hundred yards, seventeen touchdowns, nine interceptions. Mm-hmm. He's good. He's got an arm. I mean, he can really heave the ball around the yard. That's what Michigan needs. That's what they've lacked, I feel like, in recent years. They really haven't had. Certainly this past season, they did not have a strong quarterback. They did not have a strong quarterback really at any point during the season. And that's one of the things. Wilton Spates or John O'Corn. Exactly. They, they They really lacked a true leader, I think, at the quarterback position. And, and Ricky, we've talked about this a number of times. The quarterback is your leader, and mm-hmm. that's who you look to. That's who you look to be the one to carry you through a game, carry you through a rough spell, a rough patch. If you don't have that, that's going to be tough. So Shea Patterson is hopefully going to be able to be that guy, be that symbol for Michigan football moving forward. I think that Michigan certainly will be trending in the right direction this next season, especially after, again, I'm telling you, the 8-5 and five this past year, you're working with completely, I mean, really, tons of new players. I think, what, 22 mm-hmm. new players, what, just on, on the defensive side? Yeah. They now have a year under their belt. That's good. They come into this season with more confidence, with, I think, a greater skill level, higher skill level than they had last year, and and they're ready. They know what to expect, and they know how to go into battle and prepare for it. That's going to be the biggest thing for Michigan. Now they just have to be able to effectively execute. Here's some of the things that could that I'm thinking could be good or bad. Shea Patterson, for me, is one of those where, to me, there will be either two guys that win, one of two guys that wins the job this year. It's either going to be Shea Patterson— the transfer from Old Miss, or it's going to be the guy that we talked about before Shea Patterson got down to the line and choosing a school. They also are bringing in a freshman pro-style quarterback, Joe Milton, as well. When Pat, Actually, that's where he brought up Milton, was when Patterson declared Michigan, we kind of had the discussion, would that then force Joe Milton to go somewhere else? Because he wants to start right away, but I think they'll compete for that job. One of those two guys is getting it which should be an upgrade from either Spates or O'Corn from last year. The thing I look at, though, I think it's a favorable schedule for Michigan this year. I know we're early. We're basically in spring ball right now. Starting in June, both you and I are going to start our college football previews and go through all the Power Fives and look at every single team from the Power Fives. But just looking at Michigan's schedule right now, The only big games I would look at, so the worrisome games, I'll say, are Notre Dame's going to be a big one. However, Game one. Game one in Notre Dame. However, I'm not high on Notre Dame this season. I don't know why you wouldn't be. I don't know why you wouldn't be. I think that Michigan, right now, I think I'd pick Michigan in that game. Ask me week one might be different, but I think Michigan can win that game. However, it's a rivalry game. Anything can happen, and we know that with Jim Harbaugh. Just look at what I said with Michigan State and Ohio State, how many games they've won there. One. That's it. Then you look at the other ones. Nebraska to open up your Big Ten schedule. The reason why I bring that up, 
I brought up to talk about it today. We're going to shelf it for maybe next week or later podcast. Scott Frost coming in. What kind of an energy is he going to bring with that team? The quarterback situation is kind of a question mark. But that's going to be a big game to start your Big Ten schedule right there with Coach Frost and that Nebraska team. Then you've got Michigan State. That's going to be, to me, winnable. But the thing is, you play them on the road this year. You are playing them in East Lansing, which is a little bit harder than playing them at home in the big house. Then you look at the last two. The last two big games for me. Number one, Penn State. Yeah, they still got their quarterback coming back. Like, There's an article that I read today where ESPN was kind of taking some of the quarterbacks this year and comparing them to the quarterbacks that were just drafted in the NFL draft. And McSorley, or as I call him, McSworley, um, the way that they compared him was Baker Mayfield. And I looked at that, not as they play, I looked at it and went, holy crap, could you imagine if he had a season that Baker had last year? Watch out. However, I don't see that. They don't have Saquon Barkley anymore. The guy who, if you watch that Penn State-Michigan game, I did and I wanted Michigan to win that one because I wanted Penn State to lose it. Saquon burned them. He burned them every, whether it was a handoff, whether it was a pass out of the backfield, Saquon Barkley burned them and was the reason they lost. He's not there anymore. He's with the New York Giants. And then the last one, Ohio State. The good and the bad with this. The good, Ohio State doesn't know who their starting quarterback is going to be. Last year, it was JT Barrett's our guy. They've got the leader at the quarterback position. This year, they don't know. The bad thing is, it's the last game of the year. So by the time you get there, whatever quarterback they pick will be established, and he will be the guy. It won't matter that they didn't know that coming in. So that's the good and the bad with that. However, it's not like last year where it was, hey, we got JT Barrett. Now, they do got a little boast on that defense who could uh, cause some havoc for Shea Patterson, but those are the four big games, I'm kind of five big games if you include Nebraska, that I'm kind of looking at that will be major turning points for Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines this year. Yeah, and they, uh, you didn't mention they have to play Ohio State on the road in the horseshoe. So. They play better at the horseshoe with Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> but uh, still. So maybe that's a good thing. But, but still, I mean, they're, they're, it's a road game yeah. against one of your toughest opponents mm-hmm. to end the season. And usually at that point, at the end of the year, that last game, there's a lot on the line. And we've yep. seen it with both of these teams, with Michigan and Ohio State. They both need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what makes it fun and exciting. But at the same time, uh, there's usually a lot riding, riding on that last game because they don't have it locked up already. But, I, I, I again, Mi- Michigan, to me, is going to have a better season this year. Now, could I be wrong? Sure. But I just I feel like Michigan will bounce back mm-hmm. in, a, in a big way. And I'm not necessarily saying that they're going to bounce back in a big way, go to the playoff. But that's what that's what Michigan needs right now is they've had Jim Harbaugh. They believed we'll get Harbaugh. We'll get to the playoff. They haven't been three years. No playoff appearance. Mm-hmm. Close. No cigar. They need to get there. And not necessarily for him to secure his job. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, but for him to almost secure a Michigan legacy because, yes, you've been better Quiet than... Quiet the doubters. Yes, you've been better than Brady Hoke. You've been better than Rich Rodriguez. Didn't take much. But <laughs> I, I think that he needs to be able to do that for his own legacy. Mm-hmm. And, and now maybe he's not necessarily thinking about that, but I would. 
uh, because yes, it's about being able to build a program, but you also want to be able to do well by yourself. And that's what he needs. That's what he needs for himself. That's what he needs for the fan base. That's what's going to keep Michigan football happy. And again, they they want it. It's been a long time. And again, the ten and three, two seasons to start. Good mm-hmm. taste. Now you're down to eight and five. If there's anything less than eight and five, then we're going to start hearing the hollers of is. Jim Harbaugh really the right guy well and the thing just to throw out there you said it shouldn't take much yes overall and conference wise Jim Harbaugh has a better win percentage than both Rich Rod and Brady Hoke but the thing and take this as you may when it comes to bowl games he's got the same record as Brady Hoke I know one and two I know here's the last two questions I got for you so both of us agree that should Jim Harbaugh be on the hot seat this year no like Although I think that maybe a little pressure should be there, like a "Hey Jim, we got to beat Ohio State this year." Just want, just want to make that. I know you know that, and I'm sure it is. Yeah, I know you know that, but as an AD, I just want to make it known we got to do that this year. The first question I'm going to ask you: Look into your crystal ball, May third next year. What would it take this year for you to think, not put? Think about putting Jim Harbaugh on the hot seat for 2019. Losses to Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State. If what, you lost, if mm-hmm. you got swept 0-3 against those, I'd start to think about it. What would make you definitely put him on the hot seat for 2019? Would it be that same thing? Oh, no, no. Would it be more wait, than that? What was your first question? I'm saying think. So it's like, ah, what was your? But what was your first question? The first one was like, you asked not, the same question twice. No, no, no. What I'm saying is here, I'll, I'll differentiate it. The first one is think. So kind of like what we're asking right now, where it's like, yeah, I'm not really putting him on the hot seat, but I'm sitting back privately in my office as the AD, and I'm thinking about it. That's the first one. Not publicly going, yeah, he's on the hot seat, but behind closed doors thinking he's, yeah, he, I, I might put him on the hot seat this year. Well, I, I Whereas think- the second question is you publicly come out and say Jim Harbaugh's on the hot seat. I don't know if you ever really want to publicly come out and say that your coach is on the hot seat necessarily. I think those things should be kept internal mm-hmm. um, for the sake of the players so they don't have a distraction. So if I was the AD, I wouldn't be publicly saying anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that if, if they if if Michigan comes out game one against Notre Dame and they get blown out, I'm already kind of thinking, are we ready? Mm-hmm. Are we ready this season? Are we going to be going anywhere? Um, and again, now maybe they come out and they do lose to Notre Dame, but if you come out and you get blown out, I, that's where I'd already start to question. But the thing that would really make me internally mad, put him on the hot is if seat you lost to the is rivals. if you're getting swept by all your rivals mm-hmm. in one season, I'd be, I'd be saying, well, that's never happening and again. Technically, Penn State not a rival. No, but I'm but including. I would include them because when we talk about the Big Ten, they're one beast, of the top teams. It's three teams. It's Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan are the three we talk about from the Big Ten beast, not the East, the beast. Yeah. When it comes to that, for me, I'm the same way. Like, I'll just simplify it. He's on the hot seat next year for me. If he loses, screw like all three. All three of those games. Yeah, you are. If you have. Those three plus any more losses, you're on the hot seat. Hell, if you even lose to just two of those guys, I'd put you on the hot seat. Especially 
Ohio State's the big one because that's the thing where you brought up Lovey Smith and the Bears. The thing that Lovey Smith said that kind of got him canned in the end was his press conference. He came in and said, we're going to beat the Packers. And guess what? He didn't beat the Packers. Played him in the NFC Championship game, didn't beat the Packers. But that is something that when you're, you don't have to say that as a Michigan coach, it is expected. That team can go one win the entire year, win against Ohio State. Those fans are cheering crazy because they beat Ohio State that year. So for me, you got to beat the rivals. The thing that I would then start to think about is, let's say, because for Michigan it's weird. If they beat the rivals, they're going to be in the playoff hunt just because of where those teams are usually ranked. If Michigan, let's say... Loses the Michigan State. I'm going to give you a specific situation here, and then we'll move on. Let's say they lose to Michigan State, lose to Penn State, beat Ohio State, misses the playoffs. How are you sitting as the AD in Michigan? You beat Ohio State, but you lost to the other two and didn't make the playoffs. Uh, you know, happy that they that they beat Ohio State, but mm-hmm. the end goal ultimately is is getting to the playoffs. So I'm I'm. I'm fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. I'm fifty fifty on that one. And and again, I I don't think that personally it shouldn't necessarily be about beating any one team. But you lose yes, to yes. one of those. Are there you don't things, make the playoffs? Are there? Could there be things in your contract mm-hmm. that say you know beat you know so and so? If you yeah. beat so and so, you get a bonus. Whatever. I I don't mm-hmm. know. But it it should be more focused towards get to the playoff. I don't care how you do it. Just get there. And if Ohio State was your one loss and you still made the playoff, mm-hmm. I don't care. The interesting thing is, though, like the way this division and this conference usually works, if you want to get to the playoff, you got to beat those two mm-hmm. teams, oh, yeah. Penn State and Ohio yes, State. Yes. You lose to either one of those, committee looks bad, boom. A second SEC team is going to get in over you sometimes. But I want to turn it on to you guys. What do you guys think? Should Jim Harbaugh be on the hot seat? Michigan fans, what is your kind of barometer right now coming into out of spring, into the summer, as we get ready for college football season? You liking Jim Harbaugh's chances this year? You're kind of on the way outwards, like get him out of town. Guy can't even beat the Buckeyes. Let us know what you guys think down below in that comment section. Let's move on, though, into our next topic, Brandon. Looking at... A new head coach for his team this year, Jimbo Fisher, going over to, it's not Lubbock, Texas. Where the hell is Texas A&M? Do you know? It's College Station. That's where it is. College Station, Texas. Texas A&M, the Aggies getting their new head coach. Jimbo Fisher had their spring game. Also, one thing I forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast, if you're wondering why Brandon is so sweaty, I think it's because we got to congratulate you, man. You finally had sex, right? <laughs> finally? It's been a while, but finally? No? Gosh, if that was it, holy no? crap. No, just a it good. would have been a lot of good calories burned. But just a good briskly run. Just a good run on the treadmill. A briskly run. Is that even? A that brisk even? run. But briskly. Not, br- not in the just, way that you said it. So you just say brisk run. It was a brisk run. Not a briskly yeah. run. No. Yeah, I guess that'd be the adverb. But hey, this is an English podcast. We're looking at Texas A&M. We're looking at Jimbo Fisher. I'll get right to the point. I'll ask you, what are the expectations for you when it comes to Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M this year? They're pretty high. They're pretty high, and I think they should be for Texas A&M as well because 
there's a lot of really good things that Jimbo Fisher brings. And I know a lot of people may want to look back at his final season at Florida State and say, hey, this guy went 5-6. and six. They were terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, remember, he lost a starting quarterback week one to against Alabama. Alabama and never got him back. Mm-hmm. And it was a real struggle ever since that happened the rest of the season. So they go 5-6. and six. They're lucky to have gotten to that point. But, Who we're going to talk about De- DeAndre Francois sometime this offseason, too. What a shame. What a shame. Yeah, we're going to talk about him, too. But you look at his overall record. He goes 83-23 and 23 mm-hmm. while at Florida State. Absolutely incredible. So he's a winner. He's a winner. And we talked about this last week with Jeremy Pruitt going to Tennessee. Those are the types of guys you want running your programs. Guys who know how to win. Guys who have run a winning program. Or guys wherever they've gone are outstanding. Offensive coordinator, going back to Jimbo Fisher. Mm -hmm. Offensive coordinator under Nick Saban at LSU. Go to the 2003 National Championship. However, that's going to be another thing we look at now. And it's going to be something that I know they bring up during broadcasts. Now the mentor is going to be going up against. I know they played last year and Saban beat them, beat the underling like he usually does. Like usually, it's what coordinators under Nick Saban are winless against. Him. No wins. No. But wins. look at Kirby Smart. Look how close he got. Yeah. It, if look it wasn't for uh, if it wasn't for good old Tua, he would have uh, been the only one. But the whole thing is, is that those are the types of guys that are going to be able to turn around programs. Mm-hmm. And while yes, Kevin Sumlin did a really good job of recruiting and getting good quarterbacks. Jimbo Fisher will do the same thing. He struggled mightily. He struggled mightily to develop the quarterback. Mm -hmm. Whereas Jimbo Fisher, also an outstanding recruiter, I think is going to be much better at being able to mold that quarterback, be able to bring that quarterback along and along quickly, allow them to learn the system pretty pretty fast and that's going to help them to just be that much more prepared and ready to get into a game scenario than they were under Kevin Sumlin and and again you know Kevin Sumlin was your typical eight and five kind of guy like he was a coaster um but uh Jimbo Fisher is not uh he he is not and and uh now with him he's got a 10-year deal 75 million dollars I believe uh so much money but they're going to expect success. Texas A&M has the biggest stadium in the SEC. With Jimbo Fisher as their coach, they better be filling up every single seat. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing where I don't think you have to worry about that because even at the spring game for Texas A&M, they had a record crowd at that spring game. It was, and I'm looking right here, 48,129 people in attendance for Texas A&M's spring game, um, which surpassed the previous record of 45-212, and that was Johnny Manziel's sophomore year that that spring game happened. And for me, the biggest question, the first the thing I really liked was I was watching an interview that Jordan, I think it's Jordan Rogers, um, had with um, Jimbo Fisher when he was the ESPN interview I was watching, and when they showed tape of the practice, Jimbo Fisher said to his team, basically, come out here to work. It ain't going to be like it used to be. Basically, to me, I know he didn't mean it like this, but the way I saw it was, 
hey, that guy that was here before, how you guys ran practices with Kevin Sumlin, it ain't going to be like that anymore. You got to come out here. You got to be ready to play. Now, I wasn't. I know he wasn't saying that like, oh, I'm going to take a dig at Kevin Sumlin. He was just getting his guys rearing to go during practice. But I, I thought about it, and I'm like, wow, it's true. Like, this is going to be a different atmosphere. We're not going to get complacent. Like, well, we're not going to get complacent like you might have last year. We're going to get here. We're going to get to work, and we're going to do our job. And to me, the biggest question for them is who's going to start a quarterback. They've got two right now. They played during the spring game. You've got Mod, who whoop, hit my microphone there. So if you're on the audio side, you're like, well, what did Ricky do? I hit my mic. I turned it off. Maybe I wanted myself to shut up. But you have Mod, who started eight games last season. You got Starkle, who started five. Each of them had their moments during the spring game. But to me, it's going to be which one of these guys wins the job this spring and which one will give the Aggies a better chance to win with Jimbo Fisher in 2018. Uh, well, I think I, I want to go back to the point that you made in terms of, the, of, of running practice practices comment. and stuff like that. Again, so similar to Jeremy Pruitt mm-hmm. in Tennessee. Again, a guy who comes from a winning culture yep. knows how to run a practice for winners. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know that sounds silly, but this is how, if you want to win, if you want to be successful, this is how hard we have to work. This is what we have to do. And this, again, a guy who has won wherever mm-hmm. he's gone, Jimbo Fisher, is doing the well, exact same thing. I'll throw in another example, and I'll throw it in because we almost talked about him today. It was either this topic or the other one. Scott Frost, who I threw out for a topic today. I know on a lower standard to some, but had success, a lot of success last year with Central Florida taking what he did there, moving it over to Nebraska. We're in Nebraska under, um, what was it, under um, Riley and then under uh, Bo, uh, Bo Pelini, was that his name? I forget his name. Basically, he stunk. That's why Riley came yeah. in. Coming from just losing to, hey, we're going to run things different. It's going to be a different atmosphere here. Yeah, a little bit different than a Jimbo Fisher or a Jeremy Pruitt, but almost the same thing. Yeah. I'm going to do what made me successful over here and do it here with these kids. And Scott Frost was so good mm-hmm. that they didn't even have to win a national title, and they still got one in their stadium. <laughs> I mean, that's how good he was um, as You know, they coach. did everything that Alabama didn't. Won their division, won the conference, beat Auburn, went undefeated. Yeah, but guess what? That doesn't get you a national <laughs> title at the end of the day. Yeah, it says, um, it, says it in the stadium. But, 2017. Uh, yeah, morons. Go Knights. Um, but, uh, so the whole thing, though, again, what I think is going to be great is that mm-hmm. this is going to be one of the fun quarterback battles to watch, I think, over the summer. Okay. Reason being is because with Jimbo Fisher being the, that guy who you you bring him in, he knows mm-hmm. quarterbacks. He knows working with quarterbacks. He's done it before. He's done it before in the SEC. So now he's back doing it, and he's had success in two of the best conferences in all of college football, ACC, SEC. And he's going to push these guys to their limits. So I think by the end of the summer, we're going to see two very much improved quarterbacks, and it's going to be a very interesting battle to see who ends up winning it out. That's me. But ultimately, he's going to bring everybody else to the next level on this team. That is why you have to be really excited for Jimbo Fisher. Mm-hmm. Again, throughout his last season that he had at Florida State, that's a fluke, 5-6. and six. But look at what he's done 
at not just there, but look at what he's done with LSU. Look at what he did with Auburn back in the day. Uh, The teams he was with that he coached for, the positions that he was in, very successful. Very successful. And I think that Texas A&M got their guy. Mm -hmm. They paid a lot of money, but I think he's going to be worth every single cent. Every single cent. Every single cent. I think he's going to be worth it. Here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the schedule, and my early prediction as of May 3rd, of course this will change if injuries happen, and as we get to later in the spring and later in the summer, I'm saying right now I'm looking at it, this team will go six wins for sure, and I know that's a low bar. They will make a bowl game. I see them as an eight-win team. And the reason why I say that is last year, look at their losses. And they lost to UCLA, a team they should have beat, but Josh Rosen came back and beat them. Then they lost to Alabama, Mississippi State, Auburn, LSU. I'm not counting the bowl game. I'm saying regular season. So LSU, Auburn, Mississippi State, Alabama, UCLA. I think the same thing happens this year, except the only change will be they beat Mississippi State. So the losses that right now I see them doing is Clemson. The only reason I have them losing to Clemson is Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, he didn't have DeAndre Francois last year. Clemson has his number. Clemson has a phenomenal, like, you look at the way too early mock draft and the way too early big boards for the NFL, that Clemson defense is going to be stacked this year. They're going to be dangerous. I don't think this team in Jimbo's first year beats a Clemson team. Plus, Dabo Sweeney kind of knows how Jimbo works. It's kind of like a throw the playbook out. You guys know each other so well. It's kind of a chess game out there. I think they'll lose that, so it'll kind of be take that as your UCLA loss. They'll beat Northwestern State. They'll beat um, Louisiana Monroe. No surprises there. Alabama at Alabama. Give it to Nick Saban. Still going to be undefeated against the underlings, as I'm going to call them. The underlings are going to stay defeated (laughs) against Nick Saban. Arkansas, I think they win. Kentucky, I think they win. South Carolina, I think they win. This will be the part of the season where they kind of catch some momentum, gain some confidence, win some games against some SEC teams. Mississippi State, yeah, you're going on the road. However, the thing about Mississippi State this year, they don't got Dan Mullen anymore. I think that is a huge loss for Mississippi State. I got this year Texas A&M beating the Bulldogs of Mississippi State. However, the good thing is, yeah, they played Florida last year. They don't play Florida this year, so they don't have to play Dan Mullen and his new Gator team. Then against Auburn, at Auburn, right now I'm going to give it to Auburn just because they beat Texas A&M last year. I know it's different with Jimbo Fisher, but Auburn is still a really good team, really well-coached team. Old Miss, I think they'll beat. UAB, I think they will beat. LSU, I think that that'll be a toss-up one, but I will go ahead and give that one to LSU right now just because of... I like LSU, and I think they're going to be a better team. So what did I say? Clemson, Alabama, Auburn, LSU. What's that? Four losses on the year. That means you're going to end how you many won are they nine, playing? You won nine and four. Nine and four overall. So, I mean, that's a good regular season. You'll go to a bowl game. Might even be a not New Year's Day game, not one of the New Year's Six but could be a good bowl game for you at 9-4. and four. Yeah, I think they're probably going to be within the 7-9 to nine win range. 
uh, this next season. I think that that's definitely realistic. They go what seven and six this past year, so anything past that is eight certainly they had eight. twelve games, so I had them at eight and four because they had four losses. Certainly a, a step up though to win, win their to bowl win game, eight you're games, nine and four. Eight, eight games, nine games. That's mm-hmm. what they'd be looking for, I think, in, in, in year one. That'd be great. Get back to being competitive. Mm-hmm. To not be eight and five would be really fun. To be, you know, nine nine and four at the end of the season. Where do you think is the I'm gonna I'm gonna use this term incorrectly, but roll with me here. What's the Mendoza line? What's basically the lowest record they can have this year for you is let's say you're a Texas AM fan, you're sitting there going, All right, I didn't want this many wins. But this is a success. Where's that line for like this is the lowest wins we can have for me as a Texas A&M fan to say, all right, it was a successful season year one for Jimbo Fisher. Well, I don't think that necessarily they would say it was successful with what I'm going to say. But I'm happy with it. I'm seven. Not, I'm not excited. Seven. But I'm not happy. Seven. Seven. What about what would you think the mindset is then if it's six? You still get a bowl game. But I know it's like, ah, oh, we want six and six. Well, it's not that seven. Well, it's not let's a look at record. let's look at what the the West was last year. Mm-hmm. Arkansas was four and eight. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss was six and six. Yeah, and Arkansas was dead last. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would not want to be six and six. Six and six. Because let's be honest, with their schedule. If they're going six and six, that means you're getting at least five losses in conference. Yeah, because so, you're I not mean, losing to Louisiana Monroe or Northwestern that's, State. That's why I'm saying though, if you have only six wins, mm-hmm. you're you're literally bottom of the right at the bottom yeah. there. I mean, again, Arkansas was not good this past year. Mm-hmm. They only win those four games, but you want to be somewhere at least in the middle of the pack. So if you're if you're between seven to nine, you're going to be in the middle of the pack. With, um, all, uh, Mississippi State and LSU, they both win nine games. And then obviously Auburn and Alabama at the top with 10 and 13. Which is funny because I wonder I wonder with saying seven, if any Aggie fan in the comment section is going to bring this up because it just popped into my head. Oh, you say seven and six, but Kevin Sumlin went there last year and got fired. Now I know his was a culmination of what was going on. With him it was our biggest kind of thing, the thing I ragged on him for the longest time was complacency of like, you're right here. You're not getting over the hump. You're not even testing the hump. It's like, I like, I'm right here. I'll stay right here. That's how many wins I'm going to get. And I'm fine with it. I'm not fine with it, but that's where I'm at. The thing that I really think though, is I really think that this is going to be a seven to eight win, not counting the bowl game. The bowl game could make him a nine win, eight win team. But I think this is a 7-8 win team regular season because really it comes down to the three big games of what are you going to do against Auburn, what are you going to do against Alabama, what are you going to do against LSU. LSU to me is the toss-up because Ed Orgeron, great coach, or I'm going to say great coach, has a team in place, although what are we going to get from them this season? Last year they were 6-2. and two. In the SEC, Alabama, I expect them to be 7-1 and one again with probably their only loss if they do lose, being to an Auburn team. And then you got Auburn, who's also a well-coached team that I expect to beat 7-1, and 6-2 and two at the worst in the SEC. So really it's going to be this year, how do you compete 
with those top three dogs in the conference. So here's how I want to put something in perspective, though, mm-hmm. is that he signed a 10-year, $75 million oh, I contract. Know it's not just, it's not no, just about this year. No, but, uh, but what I'm saying, though, is that this, isn't, this mm-hmm. wasn't like a, a three-year deal yeah. or a five-year deal where it's like you, 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 you got to win you know, and, and look pretty good in year one because you your contract's only three years or five years. No, they're you only, playing the long game. So, so yeah, so I'm not so concerned if mm-hmm. they don't come right out of the gate and win 10 games in year one mm-hmm. because even if you, you know, kind of start to build a base and everything like that, remember, he's going to be working with a lot of Kevin Sumlin's recruits. He's not yep. going to be working with a lot of Jimbo Fisher recruits. A recruiting class that in the SEC, let me look really quick, they were sixth in the SEC with 23 total recruits, no five stars, 13 four stars, 10 three stars. So I think now that you're you're in the SEC, it's a gold mine. Mm-hmm. Your name is Jimbo Fisher. That's going to add to the gold mine. You're going to get more recruits coming into you, wanting to come and play for you. And it may take a little time, potentially, but you can have a year, two years, even three. I'm not saying that we go and and, and win four games, five games, six games, you know, one, two, three, but you've got a little bit more time because you get through three years, mm-hmm. you still got seven on your contract to yep. be able to, okay, now we're off and running mm-hmm. these next seven. We're competing every single year for, for the top. So Plus, that's, that's Jim- what I'm trying to put in perspective there is that this isn't a, a short three mm-hmm. or five-year contract. This is a freaking 10-year deal. Jimbo Fisher is like what we talked about in the first segment. He's a Lloyd Carr type of coach Yeah, where it's like we're not expecting to get rid of this guy in three years or put him on the hot seat in four years. We signed him for 10. We expect him to hopefully be here for all 10 of these years. The last question I want to ask you about Texas A&M before I ask you just a general SEC question for this year is, first off, Texas A&M, within this 10-year contract, do you see, if if so, when, Texas A&M winning the SEC under Jimbo Fisher, beating in Alabama, maybe if Nick Saban's still there? Yeah. How many years do you think it takes? I think it's going to take like five to seven years. That's what I was thinking. I think it would take five to seven years because, again— It's going to take them time to build up that team. And two, Nick Saban, he's already there. Like, you got to—like, building up the team is work, but then actually beating Nick Saban is like a whole nother end game that you got to deal with when it comes to competing in the SEC. It is. And Especially it, that side of the conference. It is. And remember now, you know, LSU starting to get back to form, mm-hmm. you know, where they were well, under Les Miles for, 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 a, for a long time. Got your right Ordron impression in you? And I'm going to go and uh, get some, uh, you know, donuts and pick up a couple of donuts here and stuff and uh, I'll be right over to practice. You didn't, don't start without me, though. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I I think that Alabama's not going to be the only team that they're competing against no. anymore. And it's Auburn not. I mean, Auburn, Auburn, I mean, look at Auburn, what they did last year. Look at what mm-hmm. um, LSU's doing. Look at what Georgia's doing. I mean, look at all. I mean, I, we're talking SEC as a whole now, not just the West, but all these teams are really starting to come back into form. And it's not just Alabama's house anymore. Yes, is Alabama. Very dominant, sure they are, of course. But 
look at all of these other teams that are really starting to make a play because their head coaches look at Kirby Smart, mm-hmm. been there now a couple of seasons, what three years? I feel mm-hmm. I think it is with with Georgia starting to re- starting to build something there, starting to build something. So, Ed Orgeron, same things happening. I, I I think that those are the types of things that we're going to see happen with. Um, Texas A&M as well. Last question I want to ask you, and this is a general SEC, not really general SEC, but it's outside Texas A&M. One of the things, and this is short, didn't want to make a full segment of it, what are your thoughts, because I'm thinking, whoa, what the hell was he thinking? Justin Fields, one of the top quarterbacks in this recruiting class for 2018, chooses to go to the Georgia Bulldogs. They get a top guy, like, what is he... I'm trying to look at what he was the number one dual quarterback, number two nationally ranked for this class coming to Georgia. Of course, we expect Fromm to start, but I was thinking, like, why do you make that decision? Why You know, Fromm's the guy you want to start, right? Like, is this just Georgia getting richer? Georgia getting so much richer to where they're going to be at the top for yeah. a long time to come. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, I, there's why not? Stack up while you can. Mm-hmm. Why not get some of the best recruits while you can? I, I just kept I think thinking, that it would, I'm like, you do know Eason left because of Fromm, right? But you're now never, you're committing to go to Georgia. But remember, though, you know, Fromm is 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 older. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this kid's gonna. He's he, only a sophomore. I know, but I'm just saying, he's. You know, things can happen. Mm-hmm. He has his sophomore season next year, and he could be off to the NFL for all we know. True. So you know, it only it may only be a couple of seasons that this kid would have to sit. So. I, I think that if if you're Georgia, you're not going to say, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't want to come and play for us because we don't know if you're going to start. I just I find it funny because like how I found out about this and this is the last thing we'll bring up before we go into Mo Bamba is I'm going to pull it up right now because I watched it um, last week. So he has his commitment video, right? And he releases it on YouTube. And I think it was through um, CBS Sports that he released it, and you get down to the final teams. And I'm looking right now. It's It was Auburn, LSU, Georgia, and I think Penn State were his final teams. And I'm sitting there going, he's going to LSU. He's going to, I'm like, he's going to LSU. Think of where Alabama is right now. Maybe he could go, like, or not Alabama. Think about where Auburn is right now. Think about where, I'm like, he's not going to Georgia. I'm like, he's going to LSU. And then he says, I'm staying home, going to Georgia. And I went, what? Like, Jake Fromm's a quarterback. You do know that, right? But I do get what you're saying. Hey, year happens, could go to the NFL, things could change. But also, remember where— Jake Fromm could get injured. Well, I was going to say that, but look at—remember the um, Alabama situation. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, everyone, you know, thought Alabama had had their guy, and then all of a sudden, Tua comes out of nowhere and— He's the reason why they have another national championship. Let's let's be honest about it. So I think that that's, you know, that's one of those things, and that's certainly going to be another um, exciting. And Jake Fromm, a true freshman, so he wouldn't be able to go to the NFL until after next season. Well, there you go. But what I'm saying ultimately is that, you know, take a look at all these different situations. You mm-hmm. never know what could happen because everyone believed that Jalen Hurts was, was, the guy. was the guy. Not saying that he still isn't, but he's the one who leads them throughout the entire year. Mm-hmm. Tua comes in, plays his ass off in that national championship game and just was outstanding 
solid. And now there's a case Mm -hmm. to not just look at Jalen Hurts. Yep. So that can happen at any time, anywhere. There don't need to be there does there there do not need to be injuries. Sometimes it's just ineffective for one game. You bring in the other guy, he's really good, and you go, Well crap, can't keep him off the field. Yep. So that's why that's anything could happen. Well, and that was just one. Wanted to get a little bit of that in here right at the end. But Texas A&M fans, you guys, let us know what you guys think down below. What do you expect from the Aggies this year? What do you expect from Jimbo Fisher and this Texas A&M football team in 2018? But, Brandon, let's close out the podcast moving into the NBA draft. We are now, like I said, done with the NFL draft. The only draft we are focusing on now until June is the NBA draft. And today... We are looking at a guy that I can say that for the longest time, I've just loved this kid's game. I loved what he brings to the table. I've come out and said some things about this prospect that some have not agreed with, basically saying that if he bulks up and kind of works on his game, he can bring the same things to the NBA that I see in an Anthony Davis in the NBA right now, and that is Mo Bamba. So what we're looking at, Brandon, is Mo Bamba, Right now, he's slated as a top 10 pick. Some have him as a top 5 pick. I want to ask you, though, the simple question. When it comes to the big men in this draft, DeAndre Ayton, Jaron Jackson Jr., Marvin Bagley, Mo Bamba, is Mo Bamba the best big man in this draft? You know, I'm going to have to probably say no but I think that he certainly has the potential to end up being the best one. Uh, he already is a guy that, if you look at what he does defensively, mm-hmm. can be one of the best defenders in the league. I mean, the guy can go up in space 4.4 to, swat per that, game. to swat that ball away. And then he's also pulling down about 16 rebounds per game. Yep. So he is... He is going to be a beast defensively. He runs the floor really well. Light on his fle- mm-hmm. on his feet. He's really nimble defensively. That's what's going to make I think that part of that part of his game is already really good. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why I can't say is he the best big man is because offensively is where there's the question mark for me. Offensively is where he could get better. A lot of times kind of looked at and 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 uh scouted as having a flat kind of shot. Um, and his mid-range jumper could get better. Is he going to be a three-point shooter in the league? Mm -hmm. A lot of people say no, no, he's not going to be. He's Mm -hmm. not going to even turn out to be a three-point shooter, but could be a really good mid-range to, you know, right by the basket basket shooter. So defensively, solid. Probably an A. Offensively, probably a C+. So there's with potential to get better, but I don't think that I think because of the offensive, you know, I don't want to I don't want to say struggles, but I want to say that he's certainly not the best offensive big man in this in this draft class, which is why I don't think that you can say that he's the best big man in this draft class. A lot of people and we have somebody I believe on the fast break that believes this, mm-hmm. that Jaron Jackson Jr. is the best big man in this draft yeah, class. Dave, I know Dave e- likes triple J. Every, everybody 
Everybody's going to have their mm-hmm. own opinion, though, when it comes to it. Just like in the NFL, when everyone likes their own quarterback. Mm-hmm. Cleveland went Baker Mayfield, and the Jets were like, good, because we think we got the number one guy well, and Sam Darnold. Well, the so. Jets apparently wanted Baker, too. Everyone wanted Baker. Apparently, Baker's agent said the Patriots were going to trade up to number two to get Baker. But for me, when it when I look at it, is if to me, if I was drafting, let's say number two, Let's say number one, Luka Doncic goes off the board, which on the NBA side, Suns hired their new head coach. It's going to be one of the assistants from the Utah Jazz. Everyone's thinking if they're a number one pick, he's a EuroLeague guy, Doncic is going to go. So great. So if I'm sitting there as a team at number two and I'm looking for a big man, to me, the debate in my head personally, and some aren't going to agree with this because – With all four of these big men, it's basically which one do you like the best? The general consensus is that DeAndre Ayton's the best big man. Then there's the next most popular would be like a Marvin Bagley. Then there's the Jaron Jackson crowd. Then there's the crowd that I would say I kind of lean in because I like Mo Bamba as a prospect and what he could be. I'm going to piss off the Marvin Bagley camp a little bit by saying this, but my decision would be between Ayton and Bamba of who I would take if I'm looking at strictly big men. And the reason why is kind of comparing all four of these guys. So I'm using, with all these stats, by the way, in the 4.4 blocks per game I threw out, these are stats per 36 minutes on the floor. So if you look at all four of them, the guy who's averaging the most per game, Marvin Bagley, 22 points. DeAndre is right behind him. The lowest, Muhammad Bamba. Then you look at rebounds, who's got the highest? Bamba at 12.6, Aiton right behind him. Who's got the lowest? Jaron Jackson. But then you look at the blocks. Jackson and Bamba lead that. Aiton and Bagley aren't really there. The shooting percentages are kind of low for Bamba. However, there's that video, and I know that it's like, how much stock do you want to take into this? There's a recent video of him working on a shot, how he mentioned during when he was on the jump on ESPN how he's going away from like a catapult motion with the shot. And there's a clip of him just draining nine, three, I think it's nine threes in a row. And to me, I look at Mo Bamba and I go, all right, look at big men in this NBA right now. I mentioned Anthony Davis. He's one of them. You listen to that interview with Bamba on the jump. He mentions another one, Joel Embiid. Look at Kristaps Porzingis. Most of these guys are guys who can do it all now. They can do pretty much everything. And the one thing that I've hated in our comment sections whenever someone brings up Mo Bamba is that they kind of do what you did, but to a far, like, more, um, what's righteous, righteous is even the word I want to do. They go far into it, basically saying, Mo Bamba's a defensive player. You can't build around a defensive big. Get him out of here. That's the conception that I've seen with Mo Bamba. However, the way you were putting it is more of like, yeah, his offensive game might not be as polished as a DeAndre Ayton, as a Marvin Bagley, but potentially it could be there. And that's what he's kind of working for. Like most people I've seen disregard the offense, look all defense. You were kind of saying, yeah, his defense is really good. But the offense can still be there. I'm not completely pushing it to the side. So for me, 
I would look Aiton and Bamba because Bamba brings so much. He not only can develop that offensive game, hit from outside, hit from down low, hit from mid-range, but defensively he's also a monster down there. Like the in the quote that he said in the past, like he's a guy that can jump up and get to the top of the square on the backboard and block a shot. He can come across the rim and just stuff a shot, then get the ball, push it down the court, find a guy in the corner for a wide-open three. That's a player I want. And, yeah, Aiton, Bagley, maybe even Jaron Jackson, probably not Jaron Jackson. He's probably more in the Bamba camp. Might be able to help me right now. Mo Bamba could be that guy I draft now, and he helps me two, three years down the line as my team matures into the team I want them to be. So really quickly, want to go to the point that you made about him doing something different mm-hmm. with his with his jumper and yeah. his shooting style. So like you said, he is it's like cocked back here. Yeah. And it's how a little, he mentioned it's like a, a little, catapult. And it's a little to the to the side of his yeah. head when he's when he's shooting it. So mm-hmm. if he's if he's kind of working on that and trying to develop something a little bit better that mm-hmm. may be a little bit more effective. Yeah. Um that already could be helping his game. I that mean, could already be putting him in a different position. Yes, absolutely correct. Um I think another knock against him is that he's not going to be tough enough. He is 216 pounds. He's, bulk he's up. not not tough. Tough is not not physical enough. Mm-hmm. He has got to get bigger. I mean, he's this big guy with a great wingspan and everything, but if people can blow you over when they breathe, that's not good. So I think that that's where he's that's another area that he's going to have to improve. He's going to have to get bigger. He's going to have to put on more muscle. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to be a physical presence down low offensively and defensively. Now, my question would be, okay. why can you not, and again, this is coming from a guy who really is not an avid NBA watcher, mm-hmm. why can you not build around a defensive big? I have no idea. Why can you not do that? To me, what, what, what I've would always be the worst thing with 10 points and 15 rebounds consistently? What's mm-hmm. wrong with that? I don't have the answer for you for that question. Like for me personally, the reason why I don't have that question is I've been on the camp of the thing I love most about Mo Bamba is what he brings defensively. And for me, it's I guess a little bit of it is the type of NBA that we're in. Run and gun, pick and roll, um, all about the three right now. And do you want that big kind of being out there on the perimeter against certain teams? I in now it's like everyone on the floor. Some teams, it's like positionless basketball almost, and it's all about who can score the most points, make the most threes, and win a game in the NBA. So that's why, for me, maybe the comment section can help you out with that one. Because I'm on the same side of, like, I don't care that he's a defense like his main pro, pro ah, that's not the word I'm looking for, prowess is what I'm looking for. His main prowess is defense. I still really like Mo Bamba and would be probably my one or two for big men right now as we stand, which will be interesting because in two weeks we'll, we will do a big board in three weeks. The fast break is going to do a mock draft in two weeks, so we'll see what happens with that. But the thing that I look at with all these big men is when it comes to points per game and the stats and stuff, look at their teams too to where per 36 – the only the only three, or the only one I should say, that wasn't averaging a double-double was Jaron Jackson Jr. But you have Aiton and Bamba having the highest rebounds at about 12.6 and 12.4, Bamba being the higher. 
The only thing Bama didn't have was he only had 15.4 points. But when you look at it, DeAndre Ayton was the main option on his team. And the reason why he had so many rebounds was he had guys like Trier and Elkins who would shoot the ball. He could then tip it in. But he was the main scoring option on his team. That's why he's getting 20-some points a night. Then you look at the Duke Blue Devils with Marvin Bagley. The thing I will say, I could, I should be making the claim that, oh, Marvin Bagley shouldn't have 21 points because of how stacked Duke's roster was. But he was the go-to guy on that Duke roster that was basically, it had five starters that are going to be in this NBA draft. So you can't really just focus on Marvin Bagley because then Wendell Carter will kill you, Grayson Allen will kill you, Gary Trent. And the list goes on, Trayvon Duvall. Then you look at Michigan State. Michigan State, Jaron Jackson wasn't the guy, and this is the first one that's kind of clear. Miles Bridges was the guy. Then you had Winston was right behind him. Jaron Jackson was not asked to be a scoring option on that Spartan team. He was asked to do what he does best, and that's defensive. And then you've got Texas, where Mo Bamba again was not a main scoring option, and they had probably the most scoring options and were probably the team that didn't have, yeah, they had Andrew Jones who had the most points, but he was only .1 per game better than the next guy below him in Dylan Ostrakowski. So they were the most spread out, and they had, what, one, two, three, four, five guys in double figures last year? So, like, to me, I don't look at that 15 points in the 36 per minute and go, oh, well, that's bad. He's only averaging 15 per game. Actually, he only averaged 12 per game um, this past year. I don't look at that and go, it's a bad thing because with all these guys, it's about what team they were on, too. Yeah. And a guy like Bagley, a guy like Aiton, they were the main guy on their team, so they got more opportunities with it than a Bamba or a Jackson. The thing that I'm always going to look at and remember with Mo Bamba is the fact that when he fouled out in the Duke game and things were looking up for Texas, Bagley he, he fouls out and Bagley goes to town in overtime, Texas, had Texas no chance. loses. The next game, mm-hmm. the Nevada game in the tournament, again, fouls out, things were looking up for Texas, all of a sudden things shift in favor of the Wolfpack and the Wolfpack goes on to win. So what that says to me is that Mo Bamba, no, maybe it wasn't necessarily on the offensive side of things, Mm -hmm. but defensively, without him, that's the reason they lost. I mean, I I thought it was pretty clear in my mind, certainly watching the... Wolfpack game because I actually got to watch that game live. I had well, a, even the, I had to go back and watch the other one. Even but, the Duke one, it was like Bagley, uh, Bomba and Bagley. It's like okay, Texas can win this. As soon as Bagley went out, Duke was like, oh, he's not down there. To Bagley dunk, Bagley dunk, Bagley. But, but again, dunk. that like Bomba not being in there, mm-hmm. that was the reason. Exactly. So he is a playmaker. Mm-hmm. He is a playmaker. That is the type of guy that you certainly want to have on your team. And again, no, he's not going to be the the, the leading offensive scorer because he hasn't been. Uh, he was really never called on to be that, but he certainly was called on to be a playmaker. And if you want a playmaker, when you talk about the NBA, he's the guy. He's a guy you definitely want to go with. Mm-hmm. Now, 
is there a very good reason why DeAndre Ayton's most likely going to be the number one pick? Yeah, because when you look at him, he's pretty balanced both offensively yeah. and defensively. Whereas with Bamba, you know you're, you're getting, getting a whole right lot now. of defense mm-hmm. and you're getting some offense. Yeah. But that's why I think that I, I, I can't say that he's the best big man. Again, I can't say it right now. But when you go to the NBA and you look three years down the line and he's developed and his jump shot is better, the shot isn't as flat anymore. Mm-hmm. He's put on some, some uh, I don't want to say weight, but he's added some, some pounds of muscle. Um, maybe we're having a different conversation at that point. Mm-hmm. But I think right now he's still a solid option. Here's the thing I'm looking at. And to answer this question Really, there's to me, there's no at this point, there's no right or wrong answer. The right or wrong answer comes years down the line when we see these guys' careers and how it all plays out. But for right now, it all depends on how you feel. For me, if I was a team, and I know some people in the NBA sphere disagree with me, I know Dave's one that on the fast break doesn't see the same way I do, I will look at it and go. If I can see your potential and what you will be three years down the line, I will draft you if I think I can bring that out of you. Rather than the guy that, all right, you're the best right now, I'm going to take you right now. Because I'm more of the guy that I might not want you to be the best right now, but will you be the best two, three years down the line? That's kind of the mindset I go to. And just to look back at recent drafts, and we'll see... If this goes up, the last one, Jason Tatum right now, kind of balling it out for the Celtics. Some would say Celtics won the draft. However, two, three years, four years down the line, let's see what Markel Fultz, what Lonzo Ball are doing. Because right now, Markel Fultz, bit of the yips, didn't play this year, looked really good when he did. Then you got Lonzo, who this year wasn't the best year for him. Both of those went above him. 2016, Jalen Brown... Playing really well, probably not the best example, but the the one that I'll use is a Dragon Bender overseas guy. The Suns get him. He he isn't doing anything. But then you look down the line, and a guy like Demontis Sabonis, who went eleven out of Gonzaga, he's contributing right now. He was on an Indiana playoff team and was actually playing well against the best player in the entire sport in LeBron James. So it's like to me, I look at. I don't want you for what you're going to do right now, your rookie year, because your rookie year is not going to be the year that I look back on your career as. And for me, Mo Bamba, I see something special in this kid. I see something to where it's one of those, like he threw out the word unicorn in his jump interview. I just, I see something. It's, it's one of those where it's not necessarily like, whoa, once in a generational type athlete, it's not like that big, but it's like, all right, he's he's got the potential to be a Joel Embiid to a team, to be an Anthony Davis to a team, to be that kind of player. Yeah, will he need other players around him? Of course. Basketball's a team sport. You can't do it all on yourself. Look at the Cavs. Look at LeBron. The best player in the league will get you to the finals best team usually wins out. In the year that the Cavs won it, they were the best team because Kyrie helped LeBron and hit the shot. They were a better team than the Warriors were. They were also missing Draymond Green 
for a game that would have closed out that series a lot sooner. But with Mo Bamba getting back to him, I would say right now he is not my bet. Like, if you're drafting as right now, he's not the best big man. But if we're going off of potential, which is how I see it, he is the best big man. Because I think that three, four years down the line, we're looking back at this draft class and going, all right, Bagley and Aiton are good. Jaron Jackson's pretty good. God, but Bo ba- Mo Bamba. Man, my team should have drafted. Like, he'll probably go low, like, low top 10, like 8, 9, 10. And every team in the top seven will go, man, I wish my team would have drafted him. Except for, like, maybe Luca or, like, maybe DeAndre Ayton. But it's like, most of them will be like, holy crap, we should have. Like, how did Mo Bamba fall past seven teams? That's what I think we're going to get to. Kind of like Joel Embiid. He goes three, and it's like, why did the Lakers not take him at two? Why did they go D'Angelo Russell? Same kind of thing. That's what I think we'll look at with Mo Bamba. You know, again, it's it's tough to be able to predict um, it's impossible. Three years into the the future, because we you, don't know you, what injuries you, players you, are going to have either, if any. And, and Mobamba is one that you, you, that's one thing that you have to watch a little bit with him is mm-hmm. someone who kind of can get injured easily, um, and 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 was injured this past year for mm-hmm. for a little bit for a short spell. But I, I still think that there's a there's a whole lot that DeAndre Ayton offers, and I don't think that just goes away. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that DeAndre Ayton's going to get worse when he goes oh, to no, the NBA. I'm not saying so, like a bag leader that are going to regress. No, either. and I know you're not saying that, but what I'm saying is that I think that they're already above where Mo Bamba is mm-hmm. at as a complete player. Um, certainly, when you talk about Ayton, I, I think Ayton's pretty has put himself pretty far up mm-hmm. there. Um, He's but, either going to be one or two. Let's be honest. But, but Bamba to me. Looking more at him, mm-hmm. I I am very very impressed and intrigued by his defensive play. I think that that should mean a lot for a team because you can always have him on the floor. Um, and I think offensively, if it can come along, he will be a very valuable asset for your team. Again, a guy who's given you ten, fifteen, and five in terms of blocks. Mm-hmm. On a night, a, averaging you know a, a double double with, you know the potential for ten blocks in a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not bad to me. That's not bad to me. So that's where Mo Bamba is is good, but he can get better. Whereas you are right. I think that I don't want to say that like someone like a DeAndre Ayton has hit their cap or their ceiling, but there's more room to grow for a guy like Bamba. But there's also then the fear, will he get there? Does mm-hmm. he ever get to the point that we all believe he can get to? How, how high, many how many times has that happened? It's how high is that potential ceiling? Can I get him there and will he ever get there? Are the three questions. And just to put it in a little bit of perspective, the last big board that you and I did the way that our big men kind of ranked out between these guys, and I know for sure mine are going to change. Yours was DeAndre Ayton, the first big man. Marvin Bagley, number two. You actually had a guy at number three that neither of us have brought up this segment in Wendell Carter Jr., 
was your oh no I'm sorry Mo Bamba was your three Wendell Carter Jr. was your four and then Jaron Jackson was your fifth big man whereas I had Aiton as the best big man Marvin Bagley as the second big man Jaron Jackson Jr. as the third big man then Mo Bamba then Wendell Carter is my next one yeah Wendell Carter would be my fifth one so a little bit of shaking I know for sure Mo Bamba is going to be in the top three when it comes to big men, like Aiton, Bagley, and at least Bamba will be my top three unless something catastrophically happens at the NBA Combine. Any final thoughts you want to make before we wrap this thing up? No. This is where we uh, turn on to you guys. What do you guys think down below about Mo Bamba? And the thing is, I think he's a guy that can go as high as four. He'll go to like eight. That's his range in draft-wise. But coming up for the NBA Draft, Fast Break is going to have our next mock draft that'll be coming to you. We're recording that May 16th, which will be the day after the lottery. That's just going to be a lottery mock draft. And then our next big board here on the Primetime Podcast, our last one, will be May 21st is the last day we are the day we will record that. So May 22nd is when that one will be coming out to you. want to thank you guys for checking out the Primetime Podcast today. Make sure to hit us up on Patreon if you want to help support the channel and come on a podcast for helping to support the channel. Go get yourself an MVP t-shirt. That link down below in the description. Mostavailablepodcast.com is where you catch MVP each and every day. And last but not least, if you're on Apple Podcast or iTunes, got it right this time, make sure to give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. Want to thank you guys for watching on YouTube. Want to thank you guys for listening on podcast services around the world. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.